that's how we get your attention here at Connection. Yeah, I'm glad you're here today. Happy Memorial Day weekend. If you are here for the first time, I'm glad you're here. And we have a gift for you. So if you take that Connect card that's in your worship folder and fill it out, and you go to the information table after church, they've got a gift, they'll give it to you. And we won't come to your house and try to sell you siding or roofing or anything. We just want to say hi and say thanks for coming. And it's just a way of starting a conversation. So glad you're here. I want to introduce you to somebody this morning. You can take a look at the screen. This is a beautiful young couple. This is Kareem and Katari Shand. They are celebrating in this picture, this was just a few months ago, their 90th wedding anniversary. As far as we know, they are the couple right now in the world who's been married the longest currently. So 90 years, they, they got married. Yeah, you can clap for that. They live in Bradford, West Yorkshire in England. They actually got married in, on December 11th, 1925, back in the home country of India. Put it in perspective, that was still a British colony. It was under British rule in 1925 when they got married. And they eventually moved to England. But they uh, got married and tied the knot. You know, I'm just trying to think this through. I know some of the things, like at 25, what's the gift for the 25th anniversary? Silver, right? What's 50? Gold. And then 60 is diamonds. What is 90? I think it should be chocolate, right? (laughs) Chocolate is always appropriate. I imagine at this point they're probably pretty good at giving gifts. They've got a lot of practice, so I just think it's amazing that they're... Uh, they live happily with their youngest son, Paul. Paul said this. He said, I'm so proud of my whole family for helping us keep my parents in such good health. It's such a blessing to have them still around and having them tell me what to do. <laughs> Where's Alyssa and Abby? It never stops, okay? <laughs> so you know, our parents always tell our kids what to do. So I just think it's awesome. And uh, 90 years of marriage, if that's not love, I don't know what is. And it's just so encouraging to see that because in my perspective, good, strong marriages are the foundation for good, strong families. That's the starting point. It's where everything begins that's good in that kind of life. There's just something, I don't know, winsome and appealing about marriages that go the distance. And you know in 90 years, they had to have had rocky times. They had to have difficult times. They had to go through some stuff, but they, they're together. And so I think that when you look at that and you look back at parents and grandparents and great-grandparents and you just look at this family that loves each other, there's just something so nice about that. You don't see that very often anymore, which unfortunately is just a reality of our world. I'm not going to get negative or cynical, even though I am a Gen Xer, but I'll fight against that. But you know, you, you, know, you see the same things I do. You've experienced the same things I have. It seems like just um, a lot of marriages don't go the distance this very much anymore. A lot of marriages begin with joyful celebration and they end with signatures in an attorney's office. It's not really the way it's supposed to be, but it is. I, as I said, I'm a Gen Xer, which means by the time I graduated from high school, like everybody I knew was getting divorced. My parents split up. All my friends' parents split up. Uh, people in my church who'd been married for years were splitting up. It was just like, in my lifetime, divorce became normal. Some of you are old enough to remember a time when it really wasn't. It was kind of frowned upon. And now some of you are young enough to just go, this is just how it is. And it's just like, you know, it's, it's just the way things are. And, and no, it doesn't have to be that way, but it, it is how things are. It's normal, but I don't know, know that we want to be normal in that regard. But, and like I said, I'm not going to be cynical. I even appreciate the generation after mine. You guys, the millennials, you don't have to raise your hand, but some of you know who you are. You're in your 20s now. You all have grown up in this environment, so millennials tend to be a little more conservative in this regard. Millennials are waiting longer to get married. It doesn't mean you're anti-marriage, you're just a little more cautious. There's a 
Dr. Helen Fisher, she's a relationship expert, she pointed this out. She said, today, people are very cautious to enter into relationships because they've seen so much divorce. And then she refers to the latest research that says millennials actually do like the concept of marriage. They're just taking a different pathway to get there. They want to make sure. And does that resonate with any of you? I mean, you don't even have to be a millennial to say, yeah, I kind of get that. I do. I'm a little cautious about this, even if you're married. or Because there's this, this context of, is it really going to last or not? And here's the thing, though. And I'm with Andy Stanley on this. He kind of points out, despite everything that we've seen, despite the state of our current marriage or our parents' marriage or our children's marriage, despite everything we've experienced to the contrary, there is still something in every single one of us that believes that a happy marriage is possible. And I don't think you can just put that on Disney. I think that there's something inside you and me that was put there by God that says, not only do I want that, I actually think that that could be possible for me. If you look at everything else, you might say, well, I just don't know. Statistics say, but there's still something you says, well, it will work for me, or I think it could possibly the next time. There's like this glimmer of hope that, you know, maybe, maybe it could be us sitting in front of a cake with a 90 on it someday, sipping champagne. You know, maybe. There's, there's like this gravitational pull in all of us that, that's, that God said, this is possible. This is what I had in mind when I created this relationship in the first place. And so despite everything you've seen and everything that makes you want to be cynical and jaded and skeptical and we'll just see how it goes, there's still something in you says on the other side of that, yeah, this could actually work for me. And there's something that you, that you, that you want that. Like a guy I met last fall, young 20-something guy, I don't know, sometime last year, I guess, I figured out that I could sell stuff on Craigslist that's been collecting dust in my house for years. This is an amazing thing. Do you know about Craigslist? (laughs) I did my first Craigslist sale, and I'm like, it was like adrenaline. Wow! It's been literally sitting in my garage for 16 years. I dusted it off and sold it for money. So I'm, I'm kind of addicted to it now. And I have done so many Craigslist deals at QT. I think I owe QT like a commission, a cut. I've sold so many things, so... I put an old iPhone on Craigslist last fall. A guy responded, and we set a date and a time. And we'll meet at QT at this time, and I'm driving the blue car. And you always walk into QT like this. You look for the person who's not paying for gas, looks kind of as lost as you do. Are you the guy selling the iPhone? Yeah. So it's this young 20-something guy. We make the sale. He likes the phone. I get the cash. I love QT because it's safe, brightly lit, police officers there, and you can get a soda after you've sold something. So I go over, and I'm getting a soda, and he comes over, does the same thing. He's getting some tea, and he's like, man, I really appreciate you working the time out to get to here today. And I'm like, actually, it worked out great for me. My wife and I are going to go celebrate our anniversary in a couple hours. He's like, oh, cool. How long have you guys been married? I went, uh, 23 years. Dang, Brian, you don't look old enough to be married 23 years. Like, yeah, we were, we were, what, five when we got married, so... Yeah, here, here's your money back. Just keep the iPhone. That's the nicest thing anybody said to me in a long time. So I was like, yeah, it's, it's been good. I'm, I'm really blessed. You know, I've, I've just, we've had a great time. And uh, he said, yeah, I hope someday I can find somebody, like the, the right someone, and so I can have something like that. And I'm like, yeah. And then I just kind of went to go pay for my soda. But then despite the fact that I talk to you for 30 minutes every week, I don't go around preaching to people. But something said to me, you need to say a little bit more. I really think God was saying, you need to say something pastoral to this guy you just met. So I, I kind of stopped and I said, you know what I've really found? You, you, you hope you find the right person. What I have found is it's much more important to be the right person than to find the right person. I mean, you be the right person and it's all going to work out fine. And then he goes again, dang, Brian, that's good. I'm going to write that down. 
I'm like, yeah, dang, that is good. I'm going to write that down too. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> That's good. Uh, I, I know there's this sense we think, well, in order for things to work out, you, you wait for all the stars to align, you find the right person. And I'm not saying there isn't something to chemistry and having a good match. I mean, that's a good start. But isn't there good, if a marriage is going to go the distance, isn't there more than just finding the right person? Like, you don't have to shake your head, don't elbow the person next to you, but those of you who've been married more than a couple of decades, weren't there at least a couple of moments where you kind of wondered if you maybe found the wrong person? You go through one of those difficult, tumultuous times, you're like, oh, what is it? maybe this wasn't. Just being honest, maybe you had a lot of those times, but I don't think it just simply comes down to saying, I found the right person, and then everything worked out magically. I think it's more than that. What I'd like to actually do here is look at what God himself said when he created marriage, just to remind us all what it could be, and what it should be, and what he had in mind. I figure if God created it, he knows how it works. So, if you want to feel like the smartest person in the room right now, just grab your Bible and find the verse we're going to study out today. Genesis chapter 2. Just go like this and go to page 1 and you are there. You're going to like, again, the greatest Bible scholar. I know exactly where it's at. If you've got a smartphone, nobody's going to know how smart you are. All right? Genesis chapter 2, we're going to study out of this. This is the first wedding. I'm going to actually read it out of the New Living Translation, so it might be a little different than what you're seeing. You can follow along on the screen if you want. Genesis 2.18, we're going to go down through verse 25. So it says there, The Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who's just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky, and then he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one of them. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, all the wild animals. But there was still no helper just right for him. So, the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took one of the man's ribs out and then closed up the opening. And, and then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. Now, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Now you talk about a how I met your mother story, right? There's the original one. Isn't this good? And uh, I just want to walk back through this and point out some things for us that we should be leaning into. Some of you are already married. Some of us, you know, you think I may never be married or I've already been, I'm single again. I don't have any plan. Regardless of that, we get an idea of what God had in mind when he created relationships with the first two people. I think this is going to be helpful to all of us. And the first thing I notice here in God's design, a strong family starts with the partnership of a man and a woman. This is the template for how it all continues. Strong partnership between a man and a woman. Verse 18, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'm going to make a helper who's just right for him. God says, I'm going to make a companion. The word literally means I'm going to make an ally for this guy. I'm going to make a friend for him. There's this... um, idea of partnership. There's an intimacy there. There's a connection that they will share that no one else will share. And and I love what God said because research backs this up. From the very beginning, God already knew it's not good for men to be alone. Now, there may be exceptions to that, but the general rule is guys don't do well by themselves. Uh, Studies have shown that single men live shorter lives than married men. 
and that if a married man's spouse dies, unless he remarries, he'll live a shorter life. So that's another, a survey was taken. It had four groups of people. And so they had married men, unmarried men, married women, and unmarried women. And they asked questions to elicit just how happy are these people. Do you know who the happiest of the four groups were? You can guess if you want. Married men. The happiest of all the people in the survey. You want to guess who's the unhappiest? Who said married women? (laughs) That's not. Married men are the happiest. Unmarried men are by far the unhappiest. It's not good for man to be alone. Interestingly enough, the second happiest group was unmarried women. Alyssa, see, you, you can be happy and single. That's good. Talking to my daughter, just making sure she gets the point, right? <laughs> right, so uh, God knows it's not good for, for guys to be alone. Again, generally speaking, there's probably exceptions to this, of course, but um, what happens is a little odd. God says it's not good for the man to be alone. What does he do? He starts bringing animals to Adam. Like, God is smart. Why did he do that? He knows that there's not going to be a suitable partner, maybe, maybe a dog, a Labrador retriever, but generally speaking, there's not going to be a suitable. Why did God do this? He's smart, and he's teaching. And he's not just teaching Adam, he's teaching all of us. Right? Think about what God did there. And don't just think, okay, he, he named the animals. It's bigger than that. Adam did something very meaningful. How cool would that be to be the first scientist? You're a biologist, you're a zoologist, or you're, you're into linguistics. Because not only did Adam get to be the first person to categorize the animals and the creatures and the species and to say, you are this, he got to assign the name that all of humanity uses for each of these animals. This is intelligent, rigorous work. It was fulfilling. At the end of every day, I'm sure Adam was thrilled with what he had accomplished and looking forward to what he would do the next day. And yet, he still said there's something missing from his life. The point to all of us is, guys, work is good. Women, work is good. But it is not enough to sustain your whole life. Without that relational element, your life will be lacking something. And I'm not just talking about marriage. You need relationships. The most introverted person in in this room still needs relationships. That's how God made us. Some guys, one guy said, I think also what was going on here is after Adam has seen hippopotamuses and crocodiles, that woman was going to look pretty good to him. Yeah, so. so God has got the point across to Adam, you need someone else. And then God does the very first surgery in human history, takes a rib out of Adam's side, creates a woman from the DNA. Oh yeah, even the surgery had anesthesia, had everything all worked in there. And then... Uh, I love the interdependence of this. Do you catch that? The very first human being who ever lived was a man. And then God created a woman from the man, so they're dependent on each other. But then every single human being from that point forward in history comes from a woman. We're dependent on each other. It's a beautiful picture. A Jewish rabbi said this, and you may have heard this at a wedding. I just think it's a beautiful picture. He said, God didn't take a bone from Adam's head so that the woman would be over man. He didn't take a bone from Adam's foot so that the women would be under men. It was from his side. So they would be side by side, heart to heart. I don't know that that's what God had in mind, but I think it's a beautiful picture, isn't it? So you got this image. Adam wakes up from this sleep. He saw the first woman ever standing before him. First woman he's ever seen in his life, many ways like him, in other ways completely different from him. And Adam looks at this beautiful woman and he erupts in poetry. A song. I don't, you may not catch it in the text we read, but it was actually poetry. 
bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, this is woman. And thank you, God, for this. It was a beautiful thing. Now, man and woman, starting point of the family. You go back to verse 24, and God says this. So, see what God did there? Verse 24 says, that's why, and this explains why, a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife, and the two are united to one. So, here's, here's what's going on. with When you make this relationship with another person, it is, it's, it's a mutually exclusive relationship. I like how the English Standard Version translates this into English. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So just think about those words. You leave someone, you join together with someone, you unite together. There's an exclusivity to this relationship. It's you and me excluding everyone else, first of all. For one thing, who did God say that they leave? The very first people you leave when you join your new family together is your parents, which is not geographically. You could... Move next door to your parents and leave your parents. You could probably live in your parents' house. I wouldn't recommend it, but you could maybe for a time and, and still have left your parents. Even at the same time, you could move all the way across the country and never have left home. It's not really about location as much as loyalty. Who you go to first, who you turn to first. Now, if your parents are wise people, you would be wise to listen to them, seek their input, all of that. That's great, but... At the end of the day, you have to think more about what your spouse wants and the life you're building together. That's, again, no disrespect, no dishonor to your parents, but that's the, part of the success of marriage is that you're starting a new family with new traditions and new things, and, and you love each other. But just being honest, some relationships that don't work out is because one or the other didn't ever leave home. And they always turn their attention to what mom or dad thinks, not what their spouse thinks. Do you know that, that mutual exclusivity, it goes beyond your parents, it really does. It goes to other people. Now, I, I have to say, Adam and Eve probably had it a lot easier than we do. It was no big deal for them. Literally, there was no one else that they could have chosen. Yeah, right? Adam wasn't standing there waiting for Eve to come down in the wedding ceremony thinking, am I really going to say yes to one person to the exclusion of all others? Like, what if there was somebody else out there that was the right? There was no one else. Eve wasn't standing there thinking, what would have happened if I had married Connor from accounting? Right? There, there's, we do kind of have this issue because saying yes to one person says no to everyone else. And even if you love this person, there's part of your mind that may want to say, yeah, but what if there was someone better? So, you know, I just uh, don't fall into that comparison trap. Adam and Eve didn't do that. They, they had each other. Actually, there was a time I heard that Eve was a little bit jealous. Adam was coming home late. She's starting to get a little worried. So she waited until he fell asleep and then started counting his ribs just to make sure. <laughs> The scripture here says that you are united. One flesh. There's that exclusivity there. You don't spend your time wondering who else there could have been. You don't go on Facebook and see what your ex from high school is up to. You are now committed exclusively to this person for the rest of your life. And when you have that mindset, it changes things for you. You even go a step further and you say, we are so united that what hurts you hurts me. And if it bothers you, it bothers me. If you're happy, I'm happy. If you're sad, we're sad together because we're in this together. It's you and me together against everything else. Yeah. You go on down to verse 25. And so you, um, you, you form this family, you join together, and then verse 25 says, Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. It's a beautiful picture. Uh, Gene Apple says, 
he's a pastor. He says, when I get to heaven, I want to ask Adam, what did you really say the first time you saw Eve? And Gene goes on, he says, I'm pretty sure it's something that couldn't be printed in the Bible. (laughs) They were naked, but they were not ashamed. This mutual exclusivity of marriage allows something beautiful to grow if you practice it. This mutual commitment can lead to this mutual transparency. Now, of course, it is a literal thing. You know, they were naked. They saw each other as they really were, but it's deeper than that. It, It goes into the area where this is that one person in the world who gets to see who you truly, truly are. It's that one person in the world who knows more about you than anyone else does and still loves you and accepts you. It's the person you've had the most intimate conversations with. I don't know how you would have that kind of a friendship unless you knew you were committed to each other for a lifetime. That commitment allows that trust to build that I know I can count on you and that you've got my back and I can share this with you and you won't use it later to club me over the head. Um, I know that you're not going to tell 20 other people. Just something beautiful that forms in a relationship over time. Believe me, we live in a fallen world. We don't always get this right, but we can work toward that. And I want to point this out because I think this is important for us to remember how it used to be. There was a time when there was no sin in the world and Adam and Eve had a perfect marriage. There was nothing wrong with them. There was nothing wrong with the world. And the only reason I point this out is not so that we can feel bad for ourselves, but to remind you that even though that's not how it is right now, that is how it's going to be again. And this is the thing that we hope for, that when Jesus returns, everything will be fixed again. But in the meantime, we have to think about what happened when Adam and Eve sinned. Things changed when they did. What did they do? What was the sin that Adam and Eve did that caused everything to break in the world? Remember, Adam and Eve had been explicitly told by God not to eat from this one tree in the garden. The serpent, Satan, convinced Eve, you ought to do this. I think God's holding back some good things from you. She buys the lie. She eats the fruit. She convinces her husband, Adam, to eat the fruit. And now from there forward, what used to exist no longer exists. Now they're naked and afraid. First thing they did when they sinned against God, what did they do? They took fig leaves and sewed them together and made clothing. Because now they don't want each other to see how they really are. Now they're afraid. Now they don't want to see God. Whereas they used to walk with God every day, now they're like, oh, God's coming. We've got to hide from him because they feel guilty. They feel ashamed. You know, that shame that says you are less than normal, that you are less than whole, that you are less than good, and so you better hide some parts. And that will, you know, is the same way as I say there's a gravitational pull towards wanting a long-lasting marriage. There's also a gravitational pull that all of us have to fight, and that is the, the urge to hide things, to put a mask on and pretend. And in your marriage relationship, that will even exist, to say there's some things I just I don't want to share. And that comes straight from our first parents, Adam and Eve. Their first sin did all of that. And so we have to fight against that in our marriage in this lifelong... Well, anyway, I, I keep going and going and going. I need to get wrapped up here. So uh, let me just point out one last thing. Go back to here, before everything broke. When Adam and Eve were at their strongest, what was at the center of their life? It wasn't each other. I'll give you a hint here. I told you, they used to, at the end of every day, they would walk with God. 
there was no heavens here and or earth is here and heaven is somewhere that you go when you die. That wasn't how God created the world. Heaven and earth were together. There was God and humanity were just together. And that broke, and now that will get fixed again when Jesus returns. But they were at their strongest in their relationship when Christ, when God was at the center of it. And, and that's my, I guess, my last piece of advice or teaching for you is the strongest families have Christ at the center of them. Now, I don't, oh, you do have it on screen. My screen's blank, by the way. So uh, I want you to go over, if you've got Genesis, you can close that up now. Go almost to the end of your Bible to Ephesians, E-P-H. Ephesians chapter 5, this is a beautiful teaching from the New Testament about what it looks like to have Christ at the center of your family. Let me just read that for us and we'll close out. So first of all, it talks about, in verse 21, how we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Then in verse 24, it talks to the, the wives in the relationship. It says, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. And then verse 25, it says, Husbands, you ought to love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Beautiful picture of our family when it's functioning at its best. Christ is at the center of everything. We are all submitting to Christ. He's the leader of our lives and of the church. If you're a Christian, that's true. And so we submit to Christ. In the same way, wives, you take your lead from your husband. You willingly do this. He doesn't make you submit. He doesn't make you subject to him. You, you partner together. And your husbands, we take the lead. Husbands, what are we supposed to do for our wives? Love them like Christ loved the church, right? How did Christ love the church? He literally died for the church. There's no figurative about it. He literally laid down his life for us. Which is what love in its truest essence is. I sacrifice for myself for your good. I take something that's dear to me and I give it to you. You put that love, I'm not talking about romantic love, which is great, or, you know, just um, friendship, which is awesome. Those are all gifts from God. But I'm talking about that self-sacrificing love that Christ showed. You put that at the center of your marriage or any relationship, you're going to start to get a sense of the way things used to be and the way things will be, and the thing we're working toward. It's like a, there's a teenage boy. He was really trying to impress this girl. And she was his girlfriend, but she wasn't getting He was like, he tried poetry. He's like, I would swim the deepest ocean for you. I would climb the highest mountain for you. I would die for you. And she's not buying. She's like, you're always saying these things, but you never do it. Christ did die for us. He did give his life for us. I don't know. But if you're here and you've never really said yes to the love God has for you, today would be an awesome day to say yes to that love. God is freely offering to give you grace and forgiveness and salvation to start putting things back together in your life that are broken. But he's not going to force his way into your life. Love says, I'm going to reach out to you and it's up to you to say yes or no. If God's tugging at your heart and saying, there's something you need to do, today would be a great day to do that. And I would love to talk to you about that after the service. Right now, I would invite you, would you stand and let me just pray for us. Father, we don't always get it right, and there's so much pain in our lives that comes from the fact that we haven't always got this right. People have hurt us, we've maybe hurt other people in our relationships, but I still hold the ideal in my mind and heart, and I know we all do, that this thing that you created was meant to be good and a blessing. And yes, it can be difficult, I, I know that, but I know that we also are not here without help. I know that you are standing there waiting to give us wisdom and help and encouragement and love. So I pray, Father, for you to strengthen the marriages that are represented in this room, heal hearts that are broken, 
I prepare, I pray for you just to, um, you know, guard the hearts of people who are not yet in this relationship, that, that they would find the blessing you had in mind for it. And I just, again, readily admit, Father, we've, we've sinned, we have failed you, we failed each other, but we come to you and we find grace and forgiveness when we need it. So I say thank you for that. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.